The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. Many times... We go to exercise, and our focus is on muscles. We we use specific muscle groups. A, a big joke in the fitness industry is that Monday is International Chest Day. You you might do mon- you might do chest one day, you might do legs another day, you might do shoulders yet another day. Well, here's the thing: all muscles are interconnected. Everything everything in our body is interconnected. If you want to take it deep, if you want to take it metaphysical, when we start. We start with a single cell. We are a single cell when the sperm goes into the egg, and then it divides. We go from one to two to four to eight to sixteen, and, and add on, you know, and add ad nauseum. Yet when we exercise, we tend to isolate. We tend to do one muscle group here and one muscle group there. But we have to remember that exercise is movement, and I'll say that again: exercise is movement, and movement is a skill that can be practiced and developed. That's why a recent episode with, was with Jen Esker. Jen is a doctor of physical therapy who focuses a lot on mobility. And that was a fascinating conversation. If you missed it, it, it was a recent episode. Just go back, check it out. Because mobility means, mobility is a combination. Oftentimes, we think of flexibility. And flexibility really refers to joint range of motion. Muscles lengthen and shorten. Joints go through a range of motion, right? That, that's what happens. So mobility is a combination of tissue extensibility and joint range of motion. Well, the conversation with Dr. Esker was about the role that mobility should play in our exercise program and why that should be a foundation of our programming. I wanted to, to follow up a conversation with a physical therapist with a conversation with a chiropractor. And that's why today we're speaking with Skylar Pond. Skylar Pond is a chiropractor out of the Seattle area. Now, before I go into a little bit more into the introduction, I just want to share with you that personally, and I talk a little bit about this in the interview. Personally, I've been going through a chiropractor recently to get my spine back in alignment. And at some point, I'll be doing a blog post on it. And you can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. I, I, I've been doing more blogging. I'm doing more blogging on that. And in the very near future, I'll be doing a, a blog post on my experience with, with chiropractic care, because it's still a, a new a, a new practice, right? And my chiropractor tells me that it's really hard. One of the reasons why chiropractic care kind of gets it doesn't get the full recognition it deserves is because it's really hard to do studies. When you do a study on medicine, what you're doing is how does this medication, how does this drug interact with people, and you have to have controls and all that. But when you look at something like chiropractic care, and even with something like mobility, like joint mobility, even though we all have very similar structures, we all have similar bones and similar muscles, every individual is different. 
And I'll say that again, every individual is different. We might have the same, I mean, a spine has seven cervical vertebrae, 12 thoracic vertebrae, five lumbar vertebrae. We have a coccyx, we have the sacrum, everything, we have, every spine is structurally similar, but every spine is going to be different based on how we evolve and how we grow, whether you're 20 years old, 40 years old, 70 years old. Every spine is different. So therefore, it's really hard to do a controlled study on chiropractic care. Just to kind of set that up a little bit, because that's what my chiropractor has been telling me. And my spine, obviously, from years of, of sports, competitive sports, rugby, I did competitive BMX racing when I was a teenager, falls, crashes, tackles, all that. My spine was really out of alignment and my back had been bothering me for a while. And since I was not going to be traveling and teaching workshops and be on my feet this year with COVID, I didn't use the opportunity to try to get my spine back in alignment. It's actually gone very well. That brings me to speaking with Dr. Pond, Skylar Pond, is a chiropractor from the Seattle area. From camping to surfing to snowboarding to martial arts, the Pacific Northwest has a strong tradition of being active. Dr. Pond was one of the founders, or is the founder, of Sports Medicine Northwest. It's a sports medicine clinic, obviously, that's focused on keeping the people in the Seattle region healthy and fit for their active lifestyles. Now, one of the cool things about this conversation is Dr. Pond isn't just a chiropractor, right? He's not somebody who just puts on a white coat and snaps your spine back in place, but he's an active athlete. You'll hear his story how he got interested in chiropractic care, and he still competes. He's a powerlifter. He does kettlebell competitions. He has a very he's a, he does jujitsu. He and he actually, if you know the show, he actually competed on Steve Austin's Broken Skull Ranch. This is a really fun. I I had fun with this conversation because this is really. It was fun to compare notes with somebody like like Dr. Pond, who studies the spine and studies movement for a living, because we are both, how shall we say, I'll call us seasoned athletes. <laughs> I'll call us seasoned athletes, meaning that we're, we're in our 40s. I got a couple years, I think, on Dr. Pond, and we talk about the role and how the role that mobility plays, how movement plays a role in our exercise program. This is a fun educational conversation today with somebody who really understands how the body moves, chiropractor Skylar Pond. Well, I guess it's kind of general because I, I run a clinic that has a lot of different professionals out of it. Um, we end up like as a, as a chiropractic education of mine, I end up working with a lot more knees and shoulders than probably anyone else in my profession. Um, I guess, cause that's my background. That's why my injuries have been in knees and shoulders. And that's what I've had. That's why I get kind of inspired to work with. Um, so yeah, I suppose degenerative knees, meniscus, uh, MCL, LCL, a lot of labrums, a lot of rotator cuffs. Um, so yeah, if we're going to break it down by anatomy, um, but right now I'm working with a lot, a lot with the martial arts, jujitsu, MMA scene here in Seattle, uh, and some rugby, not, not a whole lot. There's, it's not like a huge thriving rugby community here. Not like MMA is, I don't think. Well, that'd be interesting. I want to have you talk about MMA in a little bit. And oh, we're kind of hopping in the conversation with Dr. Skylar Pond, a chiropractor based out of the, the Seattle area. Why did you decide to go? And if you can do me a favor, number one, why did you decide to go into chiropractic? And number two, can you explain to listeners, kind of given a thumbnail view of what a chiropractic care does? Because I think a lot of people might have some misconceptions about it. 
All right. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me here, Pete. This is really great to be here with your, your kind of all-star list. I've been listening to your Dorian Yates interview and Todd Cleaver. It's, it's exciting to, to be another old guy talking about how to stay strong with that, with that pantheon of experts there. I'll see if I can throw something in and be useful as well. Um, yeah, your questions about how and why I got into chiropractic. We, uh, well, I imagine, I don't know how it was playing out on the East Coast with you. I started off my career with, with rugby on the West Coast. And for whatever reason, every team I ever played for had, had a handful of chiropractors playing for that team. It might have been similar to my story in that you get injured and they get inspired to heal other people. I got the impression that the uh, Life and Palmer were handing out great scholarships to, to <laughs> chiropractic rugby players. Is that, is, that's a thing, right? Yeah, that is. Well, I, I always laugh because yeah, you usually meet you usually meet guys that the chiropractors that played rugby either went to Palmer or Life, and they have two of the better men's clubs and they have two of the better college teams in the in the country. They always have. Yeah, and you've got some some great ex rugby players who have chiropractic degrees who are you know selling real estate and tending bar because they just went there because they were great rugby rugby programs with uh, good schools. Um, but anyway, I got exposed to a lot of great, helpful people through that experience. Um, and that kind of planted a seed for me. But where, where it started for me was I had a, a pretty debilitating shoulder dislocation problem with, with my career. I'm a pretty mobile person and uh, just had a, a typical overhead coming around a cone and a cone drill, dislocated my right shoulder. When I was pretty young, I was only 20 years old and I was not willing to um, put the put the brakes on, on this new passion I had found. I didn't want to, to have the, the surgical route. So, um, that was still, but that, that's, that's the way it was going. You know how it is. You, you make contact and you got to stand back up and make contact again. And I'd, and I dislocate my shoulder or subluxate my shoulder several times a match for several years there. Um, I finally consulted with some professionals and I had a, a pretty severely torn labrum and some rotator cuff damage, of course. And this is when I was playing out on the East coast when I finally did something playing for old blue. And I was lined up with the New York jets shoulder surgeon supposed to get that, that repair done. And I, uh, I ended up canceling the, the appointment the morning of, I just didn't, I didn't resonate with the goals of my, my, medical staff there. Their, their goals are basically like, uh, okay, do this and never play again. Um, and from my perspective with, with how I see things, I felt like, well, that's fair. If, if you give up surgery, I'll give up rugby. And it was, <laughs> we just weren't on the same page. So I ended up, uh, going another route, kind of doing overhead strengthening, walking my hands, handstand pushups, anything I could think of to, to progressively overload that joint socket. And I was able to get great help with some physical therapists and chiropractors and my own experimentation, able to seal up the joint and, and able to persevere. And I didn't miss time on the rugby field. I didn't have to quit. I ended up getting all excited about healing shoulders and quitting rugby and, and going to Portland and, and pursuing my, my education and getting into chiropractic because it, uh, it afforded the most freedom I felt and how I could how I could apply what I how I wanted to help someone I didn't want to get stuck just doing post-surgical rehab I wanted to see if I could be a portal of entry and and intervene and give people uh, medical options if they wanted to have surgical alternatives so that's what I've devoted my career to the last 11 12 years it's uh, it's been a wild ride and taken us a lot of different directions um, I guess I only answered half of your question but I don't know. I talk for a long time. So well, I know because I, I, I think because I like that because it's interesting to hear how people get into the medical or how people get in into to being a medical practitioner. And I think a lot of people, they get they go through it themselves like, OK, I kind of understand this. I like it. And I like the feeling of fixing people. But the second part for that, Skylar, is to talk a little bit about what chiropractic care is. And uh, you know, just just for listeners, I am seeing a chiropractor right now. They've been adjusting. He does the uh, GROHL method, the G-R-O-H-L, I think. 
um, or it's a grow clinic and it's using the Gondal method, if that makes makes any sense to you. I can look that up while we're speaking. But what I like about, and my understanding of chiropractic care is it's trying to realign the spine, that the spine is kind of like the axis of rotation or like, what would that be? The master joint for the body. And if the spine gets out of alignment, kind of everything else gets gets out of alignment. How would you describe chiropractic care for somebody that's never never been exposed to it? Well, there are a million techniques and methods, but they all have the the same orientation and goal at the end. And you're correct. You're trying to optimize leverage and efficiency through your body's um, joint system. In, in my style of a clinic, it being more of a sports medicine clinic, we, we don't just focus on the spine, um, but that is absolutely critical. Um, a good way to think about what we try to do uh, from the chiropractic standpoint as, as the member of, uh, of the team here is my role is I try to reverse the, the current that your lifestyle kind of pulls you into. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Yonda layers, kind of an upper cross, lower cross syndrome that's very pervasive in our, in our lifestyle and our culture. But basically you have that slump shoulders and the and the weak glutes and the and the weaker abs stronger um kind of a zigzag pattern where you end up stiff in your hips weak in your low back weak in your knees stiff in your ankles right so that's one way you can think of how people will generally uh present in a clinic and it's my job to reverse that order i want i have to in addition to stabilizing the spine and and balancing the the joint alignment making you as efficient and pain-free as possible there it really is my my goal as a manual medicine practitioner to get you as mobile as possible through your hips as stable as possible through your midline as mobile as possible in your ankles and as stable as possible through your knees. And the way we do it in a clinic like mine is a combination of what you're used to with chiropractic adjusting and, and strength and conditioning. And we have several other practitioners on staff as well from nurse practitioners and a podiatrist and uh, uh, naturopath, acupuncture, sports massage therapist. We can really kind of pick pick the body apart and kind of delegate and everybody stay in their strongest suit to reach that overall goal of uh, strength and efficiency um, that, that helps in the, in the wear and tear process. Uh, if your lifestyle is pushing you one way, we want to correct in the other. So. Sorry. I know there's a fascinating conversation, but I'm going to cut in here for just one moment. And that's, if you listen to the all about fitness podcast, I'm going to ask for your support. And there are a couple of different ways you can give me your support. One is give the podcast a rating. I'm an independent content producer. Ratings help elevate the podcast in the, in the search engines. So if you appreciate the All About Fitness podcast, please take a moment to give a rating. Boom. That's one way you can support the podcast. Another way you can support the podcast is go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's PeteMcCallFitness.com. I'll be doing a lot more blogging on my, on my website. I'll be writing a blog, actually, on my experience with chiropractic care. And what that's meant for me. And I'm actually going to be showing, I have x-rays in my spine before and about 10, 12 weeks into the chiropractic care. It's actually fascinating to see. So I'll be doing a blog post about that. But when you sign up for my email list, I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts, along with a workout that you can start doing on your own. So going to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com and signing up for the mailing list is another way you can support the podcast. A third way you can support the podcast is buying a piece of content. If you're enjoying this conversation about chiropractic care and understanding the body, I have a great ebook available called Dynamic Anatomy. The ebook is less than 15 bucks and it goes through how your muscles and, and the fascia and the connective tissues work to help your body move. 
And it's a great way. So I don't, I'm just going to ask for your money, but you get a great informative insight into how your body moves by buying the ebook Dynamic Anatomy. There's a link down below in the show notes. You can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, look under my programs, find it there. And those are three ways you can support the podcast. Give it a rating, sign up for the mailing list, and pick up a copy of Dynamic Anatomy. I guarantee you'll get a lot out of buying that ebook. Now let's get back to the interview. Well, let's stay with the hips real, real quick. So I like the way sure. you said that, Skylar, is look at mobile hips. Because I don't think a lot of people realize out there that in the body, like if I have a sore back and I go to see you for a sore back, probably the, the last thing you're going to look at is actually my back, right? Is if you hear somebody, if somebody kind of, and I know it's hard to give a what if scenario if you're not, if you're not examining anybody right in front of you, because everybody's going to be a little bit different. <clears throat> but say I walk in a 40 something guy coming into your clinic, complaining of back pain. Why might you ignore my back and look at other parts of the body? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I wouldn't say I'd, I'd ignore it. I don't want to disregard you and kind of put you into my system, but I do have two phases that everybody goes through in their, in their initial examination. We have the, the orthopedic route where I ha- I'm doing localized, what's going on with the, the injury site? Is this pain coming from where you tell me it is, or is this a referred pain? We have um, provocative tests and try to figure out if we have a, a disc issue versus a ligament. Um, that's all. I don't disregard that. We have to figure out what you, what you came into the, the room for. But Inevitably, we're going to look bigger, as you're describing. We'll do um, a version, my own kind of uh, version of what you might think of as like a functional movement screen, where I want to see what your strengths and weaknesses are as a mover in general. Because what we know about lower back pain, for instance, is that it's the minority of cases where we can actually point to a smoking gun of what tissue is injured and what tissue is causing your pain. Because the uh, the general population, when we MRI their their bodies, even if they're symptom free, you know, 50% of people will find a disc bulge. Um, Why aren't these people symptomatic? And why are the people who are in my office, why are these disc bulges? Why are those the ones that are symptomatic? So that's where I really want to steer my treatment style toward. Um, How can I make you present like the anomaly that it doesn't, that it doesn't affect, right? That way we don't have to talk about surgical interventions or, or uh, you know, corticosteroid injections, we can talk about how can we make you move, make you function like, the, like your peers who have this and are 100% functional, zero pain, zero strength deficits. So, um, yeah, as, as you tie back into the hips, you know, your, your basic squat and rise pattern, if you have really mobile hips, can leave a stable, unmoving spine. Say I have a disc bulge there. It's as though I'm standing still when I drop to the bottom of my squat. Now, if I have a very, very bound up, limited hip range of motion for any number of reasons, now about three quarters of the way down to my squat, now all that movement defers into the low back, you know, like your common butt wink, which is fine for 90% of the population, but uh, you know, for the symptomatic population, we want to stabilize that spine, not have it moving unnecessarily. So we want to get those hips as mobile as possible. So that way we can have a very, very stable and secure, consistent lower back presentation so that disc bulge can heal on its own. Well, and that's kind of why it's the question is, and I think a lot of people, and I appreciate the way, the way you came back on it is, you know, a lot of people out there might be surprised that a lack of hip mobility or something that happens to their hips might affect their their back or something that happens to their shoulders because that was always like the, the you know when I would talk to somebody or when I talk to somebody and they're complaining about an injury they might complain about their right shoulder I might ask about their left hip or what what they do to their left ankle 
They always yeah. kind of look at me, go, wait, what? <laughs> I'm complaining about this. Why are you asking me about my left ankle if, if my right shoulder is the one that injured? You know, why, you know, if you could real quick, I mean, that's very common, right? As, as one point of the body be, maybe loses the ability to move, it directly affects the, the other joints around it, correct? Certainly. Yeah, the, the work is going to get done. The keys are going to get picked up off the floor. You know, you're not going to, um, you're not just going to forego that activity because you can't do it perfectly. If you lose mobility in your hips and ankles, the slack will be picked up in your lower back and in your discs. That's going to happen, right? Um, so the, the ideal is to get as mobile as possible in these less vulnerable joints. Um, these joints like your hip and like your ankle that don't have discs and nerve tissue running in and around them. Let's do the work there. Um, and, and, spare, find spine sparing, uh, uh, movement patterns. Uh, I think, I think there's something global about hip mobility. I've, I've never seen someone with chronic disease and poor quality of life and diabetes and congestive heart failure who can drop down and do the splits. Now that's not to say that it can't happen. These things, <laughs> you can't cure heart, heart disease with the splits, but I just, this just struck me when I was, um, went and visiting my dad last year and he's 72 years old now. And, and, uh, we were out there. He's not too far away. He's got a late cabin out there. My wife and kids went out and, and we were up way too late for no reason at all, kind of celebrating life, who knows, but anyway, get up in the morning and super early in the morning, have a strong cup of coffee, meet dad out in the office. We're going to do some yoga with him because he's an old school yogi. who's going to teach us some stuff. And he's out there in old denim jeans in a full splits with his chest on the floor. And I just looked at that and I was like, that's a life goal. I want that. I want to be there when I'm 72. Cause there's no way, there's no way you can do that. And it just doesn't, it, there's cognitive dissonance there. I can't, I don't yeah. need to check your blood pressure. You're fine. Um, <laughs> which is, which is a hundred percent, uh, my, how my diagnostics work. But, um, I asked him, you know, I was like, how the heck did you do that? And he just, he didn't realize that it was extraordinary. He's just been kind of working on it for a couple of minutes a day and usually does his yoga by himself. And, um, it's something I've been sharing with my patient population for the last year, kind of my, my movement tried to try to get those hips as mobile as possible, slowly, patiently, consistently, linear growth. You can get there if you put a little stress into those joints, you know, three to five days a week, you'll become closer and closer to that uh, unending hip mobility and take the pressure off the spine. Well, I kind of like that. I like hearing that story about your dad. And I don't know which is more surprising, the splits at 72 or the fact that he didn't wear in jeans. I don't Both know. of them. I mean, there was a great combo, right? That's a look. <laughs> that's, a, that's what you need. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 70-year-olds wearing jeans to begin with. But in all honesty, I mean, I, you, I listen to that. And that's one of the reasons why I like having these conversations and why I do this podcast is because it, it should be holding the splits should be a goal as, as we get older. And, and on that note, kind of as you, as you've gotten a little bit older, how have your workouts changed? I mean, not only are you, you know, a chiropractor, I mean, you study the spine and you study human movement, but as you've been kind of experiencing the aging process yourself, Skylar, how have your workouts changed and what do you focus on now that you maybe did differently 15, 20 years ago? Well, it's quite a bit different. I, I try, I just looking back and I didn't necessarily plan this on purpose, but it, for me, my life, the way it goes in cycles is kind of every five to seven years, I'll just cut bait with one obsessive passion of mine and, and start something new. Just, you know, I gave, I gave rugby about six years and then 
uh, hard stop and I got into competitive powerlifting and kettlebelling and CrossFit. And I did that for about seven, uh, maybe nine years, hard stop three years ago. And I've been competing, um, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu since that time. And that, that's something that's been extremely useful for me to, um, to, because linear progression, that, that game of the barbell is so much fun. You know, like every time you go in there, you're a little bit stronger. It's quantifiable. But chasing that forever just wasn't going to work out for me. And I, and I found that just changing the focus to something that I know nothing about just gave, gave a, a restart and the opportunity to grow and learn and make that linear progress without, without sharpening the knife finer and finer and finer at the tip. You know what I mean? Like um, I was listening to, to your man, Dorian Yates. He was talking about how he's shifted gears from bodybuilding into now more of into a yoga and meditation. Um, I haven't quite gone that direction as much as like my, my competitive fires are still burning. I still kind of, I still have a chip on my shoulder and things to prove and I want to see what I can accomplish before it's all taken away from me. You know, I figure I've got a few years left. Um, but that's, that's been a really big, important part of it to just take it, take a clean start. I mean, it's a big, big world out there. There's not enough time on this planet to, to do it all. And I try to remind myself of that and stop and take a step back and say, Hey, is it time to shift gears and, and explore a new rabbit hole every once in a while? Um, I think more to the point of what you're asking though, I still have to maintain my strength. I no longer do squat five days a week. You know, and CrossFit can be a little intense like that, but uh, I do get one really heavy day in every week now, and that's going to be a linear five by five back squat or a one by five deadlift or trap bar deadlift. And I'm, I want to go up five pounds from the prior episode, um, the prior week. It doesn't mean I'm always going to have success. Sometimes, well, a good a good example is. Uh, I almost hit my goal. I wanted to get up over 300 for a five by five. And I thought that'd be really fun. And I was pretty close uh, a month ago, but I was on the mats as doing jujitsu warm up, And I felt a pretty unusual tweak out of my right knee that I've never injured before. And uh, I just, I laid off an entire month and now I'm starting over again. I'm like, okay, I'm dropping down 80% and let's start this wave over again. If I can stay on it and not get hurt for two and a half months, I'll get that goal I wanted. So as far as that linear progression goes, it's kind of like a recycling wave that I that I'm willing to just check my ego and reset from time to time and just see how long I can continue playing that game going up and um, resetting when I have to and see how long I can maintain this relative strength that took me so long to build up it's a totally different approach than I did in the past well no I like that and I, I want to come back and ask a couple of questions about about your MMA and jiu-jitsu because I think that's that's fascinating especially when you're, you're approaching it doing it a little bit later but too with your background of movement knowledge now, one thing that's really impressive, what did you feel? Because I think this is important for people listening to this podcast, because I know there's a lot of people out there that you might be going through a warm-up, you might be getting into your workout, and you might feel something, and you're like, eh, I'm just going to work through it because you know I want to get into the workout. What did you, what, if you can describe what you felt, and why is it so important to listen to something like that that might be a little bit out of normal or a little bit different? Sure. For, for me, we were doing something called shrimping, which is really normal in a warm-up. We were doing a forward shrimping drill. So you're kind of on your back, you grab the floor with your heel and you pull yourself toward your heel, like moving forward while lying on your back by pulling yourself forward with your feet. It should be pretty comfortable. And I, and I had a, a sharp kind of like, um, like, like if you, you bit into tinfoil with, with a filling, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt that on the inside of my right knee and it was sharp and it was quick and it was gone. 
right? Definitely the sort of thing that I would have pushed through 10 years ago. Because, you know, how do you get strong? How do you become a good rugby player? Um, you put the gas pedal down when you're challenged. You know, you get hit in the face and you, and you come back harder, right? Uh, so it's, it's not easy to change gears and to honor those kinds of, of signals your body's giving you. But that's, that's the second challenge in this, this phase of an athlete's career is to, to, be able to, to be able to be a little bit smarter than you are tough. Um, so that, that was, for me, unusual. I've had significant injuries to my other knee before. Um, and that's actually what got me into this phase of my, my career, my success with regenerative medicine with my left knee. Um, but I've never had any significant injuries with my right knee. I mean, n- nothing for the past 10 years, I'd say. Um, so it was, it was definitely a warning sign. It was unusual. I knew I was in a little bit of danger there, you know, pushing it, burning it at both ends. My, my weight was really heavy. I, I just hit a 290 for five by five, which isn't heavy for relative to powerlifters, but it was, it was, it was big for me at that time. Um, and with, with what's going on with work and Seattle and COVID-19 and sleep and rest and recovery, everything was off. So I know myself well enough to know when my recovery is really high and rock solid. And I know when I'm vulnerable and these are going to be the times where I have to pay special close attention and know that it's time to back off. Now, by back off, did I stop doing everything entirely? Absolutely not. I think when you reach my age at 41, um, inertia is going to bring me down if I'm not careful. I have, <laughs> I have to stay, I have to stay moving. I can't get away with exercising a couple days a week. Um, so, you know, I still sparred that day. I still, I still, uh, I switched gears. I went into deadlifting for the past month. So I don't have so much knee bend, just kind of, uh, change focus and maintain integrity of, of the intensity that I was trying to reproduce. And, um, now that I'm, I got back into my back squat, just trying to, you know, run through some good nervous energy before I talk to you here today. I just got back underneath the bar for my first time again and got my five by five, but you know, light, whatever. I came all the way down to two forty-five, and, and, um, that's, that's the process. That's, that's just where I'm at. And if I can keep, if I can keep this going and, and stay, stay in a game, doesn't have to be the game, but if I can stay in a game of strength, then I'm happy. If I can keep that going for the next 10 years, I'm going to call that a win. Well, and I think that's so important, right? Is because a lot of times we, we get this mindset because years ago, 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, if I'd felt a little twinge, it'd have been like, eh, whatever, I'm going to move through it. But yes. now I'm just kind of like, if I feel a little twinge, if something doesn't feel hundred percent right warming up. I'm going to, I'm going to reschedule, I'm going to reshift the workout because there's no way in heck I'm going to try to push through a workout and end up injured and not able to train for, for weeks or months at a time. And I just, I just wanted right. to call it out because it's so important for people to listen to, listen to their bodies. Now to shift, shift gears here, kind of to stay along the same, same line. What got you into Brazilian jiu-jitsu? I mean, why did you decide to pick that form and why did you decide to pick that up in the last couple of years? What about the sport attracted you? Well, I, I have my story and it's unique, but have you tried it out yet? I haven't tried it. I've, I've watched uh, I've watched watched people do it over the years and I'm fascinated by it. And it's one of those things I want to let my, I have two daughters and I don't want to let them get a little bit older before I start uh, take a couple, I want to take a couple classes with them so I can roll Fantastic. with them. Um, it is objectively and inherently fun. Like once you do it, you'll you'll know why I'm doing it. It's it is such a, a wonderful blend of legitimate physical challenge um, and legitimate mental challenge. It's a lifelong mental puzzle that you you can't ever solve because the the puzzle pieces 
are also learning what you're learning and fighting against you and they don't want to be put together, <laughs> right? That would be your <laughs> opponent. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the game evolves over time and um, it's very unique. And I didn't quite buy into it. I've been the team physician for Ivan Salivary MMA in South Lake Union here for a long time. Um, my office that I first opened up was around the corner from them. We've had a relationship for a very long time. And I've worked with their fighters and their athletes for a very long time. And I, and I'd have people kind of approach me with the same kind of a pitch, you know, like everything's a chess match, right? Like, Oh, football's a chess match and MMA is a chess match. And it's like, I just didn't buy it. It's like, no, it's not. You're, you're a meathead bro. And you're just strangling each other. <laughs> um, but, but, but you know, something I should have listened earlier, but what, what brought me into it um, was just coincidence and timing, a combination, like you're saying, your children, I have a a 17 year old and a 13 year old son. And uh, I was reading my son, Ronda Rousey, her autobiography when she was on top of her game as his bedtime story. He must've been, I don't know, eight years old at the time. And we just got super excited about judo and I signed him up for judo and they've got Budokan down here in Seattle, uh, just a legendary gym out of the Japanese cultural and community center. And I was taking him to classes and I just loved the culture, loved the scene, the way they did it, um, how they did it, you know, six black belts who, um, are there to teach five children. It was just incredible. Everybody on kind of a volunteer basis. And I was just so excited. And I just talked to the, the instructors afterward about how, how great it all is all over caffeinated and overexcited. Like I tend to get, and just how you'd want your, you know, your Japanese martial arts master to respond to you. He just looks at me calmly and says, you should do judo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, again, I, I start spouting off again about, okay, well, the scheduling, well, is there a 6 a.m. class? How do I, how do I get this done? And he just interrupts me and says, Sullivan, that's, that's my son. Sullivan is in a beginner's class. And I was, and I realized, oh, okay. You want me to come out and, and fight the children? Okay, I'm in, you know? So <laughs> that's, that, that was kind of my first introduction to it. I, I just started joining into this children's class and those black belt judo instructors would, would spar with me and teach me what they know. And you know, we were only there, I don't know, six weeks before they announced the judo continental crown tournament was about to go, go on and they host it and they're out asking who's going to compete. And Sullivan and I raise our hands. We're like, yeah, we'll do it. And they're like, well, does anyone else want to compete? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> like anyone who knows judo, for instance, but I talked to them and, and they let us enter. And I was just, I was just, you know, in that mindset where I was just looking to be uncomfortable and try on new challenges. And my son went first and it was pretty scary. These kids are receiving instruction from their parents all in Japanese because their parents are judokas. And, and it was like, okay, so you're going into a buzzsaw, <laughs> you know, but he, he's been lifting weights with me since he was five and he's a strong kid and he's, he's not, he's got a good mindset for it and he doesn't get too worked up about anything. And he went out there and took gold that day. Wow. He uponed the, the reigning champion in the final moment. It's on my Instagram. I, I highly encourage you to go look at this. It's just beautiful. You just got this sweet kind of mellow, curly-haired, blonde kid calmly just doing judo against and with no experience and just taking instructions from his coaches on the sideline. Um, and I just wanted to celebrate. I just wanted to go to Red Robin like, you're having milkshake. Dad's having a beer. Let's celebrate, you know, in that rugby mindset, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but unfortunately, it was like, okay, Skylar, you're up now. I was like, oh, geez, okay, judo. And mine didn't go nearly so smoothly. I, I literally didn't know the rule sets, right? And I, oh, I got disqualified from the first match for grabbing someone's leg. I got disqualified from the second match and then, and then 
kicked out of the tournament because I did a slam in a way you're not allowed to. No, no malice or ill intent, but you know, just ignorance. I didn't know the rule set. And they, they asked me to please leave the building and please come back next year. And that was my, <laughs> and that was my first exposure. I switched from there. It, I went down this other kind of meandering road. A, a friend signed me up for this really silly uh, television show called Steve Austin's Broken Skull Challenge. Did you did you ever run across that? Yeah, I have a friend. I wanted to ask you about that because I have a friend that did that. She did it. Uh, I spoke with um, Shauna Verstegen. She did it a few years ago. She yeah, is a, yeah. She's a she's a badass. I mean, she she's a uh, international log rolling champion, and she's done that. She's been like a world champion in log rolling at lumberjack sports for years, and somehow she got roped into that. So, when did you do it? When were you on the Broken Skull Ranch? I did um, season two and season five. Oh wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they brought me in for season two and, and I, I'd never even seen the show, but I took the interview and, uh, one of my, one of my strength kettlebell coach signed me up for, you know, put my application in, which I thought was flattering. Okay. I'll check it out. And I did the interview and I wasn't sure about it. I didn't have any grappling background. Well, what would happen if I, what if I did well, but I still broke my wrist, you know, I can't, can't help people anymore. That's, that's not really worth the risk. And I only had kind of one foot in, but as, as life is how things are, they didn't call me back. And that made me obsessively need to be on that show. (laughs) (laughs) You can probably relate to, right? That's the way it is. And I, through a process of harassing them and calling the producers and texting them all throughout odd hours of the week and day, you know, say, stating that, you know, they can't have a, a tournament looking for the baddest son of a bitch in America without me. Cause I'm, I'm the Michael Jordan of bad sons of bitches, you know, <laughs> just talking random trash yeah, to them. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they got tired of that and they brought me in and uh, yeah, I had a, had a really wild fun experience there, but realized um, I'm going to need to know some, some, some technique manually to get, to get through this. And I went to Ivan Salivary because that was the, the, the gym that I, that I do medical work for. And they taught me some things and I went and did the, did the show and, and had, had this great emotional blow up with one of their, their champions there. So they, they brought me back a couple of years later for an all-stars episode. And I just continued working with the Ivan Salivary team with jujitsu throughout that process. And, you know, those shows kind of came and went, that was just kind of a wild weekend, but, uh, absolutely. I, it became part of my life, you know, part of, part of my routine is kind of pursuing that, that, that knowledge and being a white belt and something all over again was just so much fun. Um, still is, I'm only a blue belt now. I've been at it. It'll be three years, three years at the end of the summer, but it's, it's a very long road. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do. You, you, it takes time and it takes effort and there's just, um, yeah, there's so many layers to it. It's, it's, it's been a great process. And that, that's pretty much how it started randomly fighting children at, at judo and then doing a hillbilly strongman contest and, and, uh, just kind of following the, the doors that opened up to me and seeing what would happen. Well, and that, but to be honest, I mean, that's why I'm, I'm interested in it because it's a, when, when I see it and when I, what I've, what I've learned about it, it's a very, it's physical, but it's, it requires a lot of athleticism and not necessarily slam the other person into the mat athleticism, as you learn, but you have to really think two, three steps ahead. I like what you, you know, and other people have said, it's like, it's like, you know, chess, you're playing chess in a real, real time way. And the reason why I want to do it with my daughters is somebody I spoke with years ago who had been a competitive right before, like you have seen all that came huge. He had been a competitive kickboxer. And I asked, like, what would be the best form of martial arts for my daughters? And his response was jujitsu, because jujitsu, I guess, on your back is like a position of offense. 
you know, in order to be able to, in order to be able to control, control the opponent. But what if, what has it taught you about your conditioning in terms of, and re, where I want to go with this is like mobility versus strength, because there's this, I, I think that there's this thing that a lot of us struggle with in our forties. And you've kind of talked around this a little bit is, yeah, you want to stay strong. Yeah. You want to still like, grip that weight and lift it. But at the same time, it's also important to look for something like jujitsu where you are developing athleticism or you are developing kind of dynamic strength. How important has that been for the last couple of years to kind of give you a challenge and give you just a reason to stay focused on your personal workouts? Well, it certainly has put motivation and incentive behind that that goal that I mentioned from a year and a half ago when I saw my my father knock out the the denim splits, the legendary denim splits. My first several classes in there with with Ivan Salivari's team, uh, they they'd put me in this move called an electric chair. If you want to YouTube that sometime, there's a, there's a friend of mine in class there just loved to put me in that move because I was a little over aggressive and and driving over the top. And what they do is they kind of pull themselves underneath you, lock one of your feet with their, their ankles, lock your other foot with their hands, and then just extend their hips and pull you into a hard splits and make you submit. Ooh. So that, that certainly makes you realize, I need to learn how to do the splits yesterday. And that was the approach I took. I need to be able to do this so I can't get submitted with, with that any longer. Um, so it's, it, you, must be, you must be mobile to keep from getting injured. Um, so it, it changes the focus from partial range of motion power movements to really getting into full range of motion kettlebelling and sandbag becomes more relevant because you're able to use momentum and inertia in in a jiu-jitsu or, or judo throw that um, isn't nearly the same as like a deadlift style of movement but every everybody goes through the same process with this sport um, you always come out too hard and too hot and try to force everything and you learn that there are moments. You learn you learn how to manipulate leverage, and you can just relax and breathe calmly. And there are critical moments in every jujitsu fight where it's now or never. You have to give everything right now because if you get into this next position, you both know it's over. So you you learn how to how to feather that gas and know how how and when to accelerate and when to back off. Um, but that that's just a process. It takes about a year, maybe. 14 months of hundred percent spazzing out and hyperventilating and, you know, puking in the garbage bucket before you realize, Oh yeah, I don't have to force everything anymore. <laughs> right. Um, but the, you know, especially with an older, uh, I consider myself an older athlete, uh, the element of, of recovery and self-care is, is paramount. Um, you know, I, you, the point of the sport, you know, because I do compete, I, I compete several times a year. The, someone's going to defeat me by hyper, extending and dislocating my knee or elbow, right? So um, the capacity to be able to stay on top of, of your inflammatory levels, your nutrition, your diet, your, your recovery, um, all, all of that, the, the knife sharpened. You're only going to be able to compete once or, once or twice a year if you're not on top of those sorts of things. And just the same, you know, you're still going to get caught. I was in, a, I think, my fourth, fourth tournament when I was a white belt. And um, just through some spazzy exchange with a, a good, strong wrestler, I tore my medial collateral ligaments and my meniscus early on in the match, and it, it wasn't painful. I just a, a huge shifting pop, and I finished the match and and had to deal with that afterward. Um, and that that's been an exciting kind of second injury that that's changed my career. First, it was the shoulder that got me into chiropractic, and then when I when I tore open that knee, I realized that. Um, just sitting and waiting for it to heal wasn't going to be effective for me. So I really threw everything at it. I did, I did a full um, PRP 
laser nutrition stem cell sort of an approach on my knee um, to to see as a as a laboratory as an experiment to see how well it would it would respond. Um, so that's become I had a lot of success with that, kind of unusual success with that, and that's become a mainstay for me um, now that I've incorporated the professionals into my into my clinic and into my model here i just have that available a couple days a week and you know i'll get i'll get just prp into my elbow or knee or shoulder kind of casually now um and it and it has a tremendous impact on on my ability to to just continue to train pain-free well i want to come back to that because you started off there skylar talking about your the fact that in your in your clinic uh, with your chiropractic care you, you do address a number a lot of um, of shoulders or uh, yeah, shoulders and knees. How yes. do you do that? Like, how does that line up? Cause I, my understanding is in chiropractic, you're adjusting the spine. How much impact does that have? Can, or how much can chiropractic care affect joints like the knees, like the shoulders and that other, and other issues that people might be dealing with? Well, they're directly related. Um, for one thing, sometimes, uh, sometimes you're adjusting the actual joint itself. You know, uh, the shoulder is prone to subluxation and poor, poor alignment. It can kind of ride up on the edge of the labrum a little bit. Sometimes you're adjusting these joints directly. Um, another way that you're helping and supporting these joints, if you're going more of a strict chiropractic model, would be extending the thoracic spine. You know, mm-hmm. the, the more limited your thoracic spine is to extension, the harder and further your glenohumeral joint has to flex to get overhead if if you kind of slouch if you if you're listening to this at home go ahead and and kind of arch your your upper back kind of slouch a little bit and then put your arms straight out in front of you thumbs up in the air and reach up over your head as far as you can you're not going to make it very far now just keep your arms pressed up there and bring your chest and sternum forward and watch those extra 20 degrees hit home so that's that's a very simple and direct and very helpful way that um, mobilizing the thoracic spine um, helps restore normal function to the shoulder. Um, and similar similar to what we were talking about with the layers before with the knees, uh, mobilizing the ankles, mobilizing the hip can absolutely benefit the stability of the knee. Um, in a clinic like mine, we'll, we'll treat these issues directly. We'll do diagnostic ultrasound of the knee, of the shoulder, identify injuries, come up with a direct treatment plan through the, the scopes of practice of my other medicals team here. Uh, we'll, we'll do everything from injecting homeopathic tremel style uh, anti-inflammatories directly into a joint will spin your own blood down, isolate the platelets, re-inject that back into the joint to get a kind of a healing crisis initiated. Um, and we'll go as far as to rework your whole lifestyle around that to, to make sure you get a worthwhile benefit out of it. Uh, it's been my experience that we have some people who respond extremely, uh, extremely well to this kind of care. And some people, it's kind of a mild. We have your high responders and your low responder groups. And the work that we've been doing in my clinic over the past years to try to identify what those commonalities are and see if we can get all of these low responders to change their lifestyle and make, make alterations there so they respond like high responders and see if we can take these high responders and make changes so they have exceptional outcomes. Um, and that, that's been, that's been a, a pretty exciting process that we go through here. Um, and it, it, it involves assessing nutrition and inflammation, gut biome, um, really trying to make sure that 
if your body, if you come to me with a, a knee injury and I'm going to try to make your body focus on that knee injury to heal it with, say, uh, platelet-rich plasma, all we're doing, the, the platelets aren't going to heal your injury. All we're doing is we're using those platelets to draw your body's attention to this point and say, this needs healed right now. It's, it's a strong, strong signaling mechanism. Every time you're injured, platelets accumulate in an area. And when we put uh, uh, you know, four cc's of platelets, platelet-rich plasma into, into a closed joint space like that, we've given your body the signal that states, this is the worst injury of your life. Come here and heal this or die. Because uh, the number of platelets that we just put in there is maybe eight times, ten times the, the amount that you have from a normal knee injury. So it, it appears to me from what I've noticed in my patient population and care that the people whose systems are able to focus on one injury like that are the ones who don't have a, a leaky gut, um, who don't have uh, skin, skin issues, who don't have all these, these other um, injuries and inflammations that are drawing your immune response, drawing your own stem cells to other places. So that's, that's been the, the focus and the drive of, of the team's collaboration lately is to get everyone with a really strong um, lifestyle foundation. So that way, when our patients invest in something like a regenerative approach, we can deliver at the highest level possible because we can really steer your body's healing and regenerative capacities at one targeted area, just get laser focused there. And, and that's what I think is so fascinating, right, is we have this new, this new approach to it. Because when I hear you talk about this stuff, Skylar, what, what occurs to me is that really you're trying to identify stressors and trying to remove stressors. And, and that's yes. one of the reasons why I like have you walk through that because a lot of people I don't, I don't think realize that that thing that they might be eating could be affecting their gut biome. If it's affecting their gut biome, it could be throwing the rest of the body off. How important is it to identify negative stressors that could be having an impact on the body? It's extremely important. You, you think about from, let's just break it down to the simplest form of training. You know, your barbell linear training, you're trying to reach an ideal uh, load threshold, right? You're trying to load your body to this perfect point that it can recover from without being damaged. If you're really sharpening the knife on that and in a competitive stand, standpoint. Now, ideally, the only stressor on the body is the number of pounds that we're putting into the system through our, our, our back squat protocol. Um, but the fact is that there are a number of other biomechanical stressors, be it, be it posture, be it, um, your, your work, be it your, your diet, sleep, nutrition, um, there, all of these stressors will eat away at your, your capacity to recover. So that also means it eats away, it digs into your training threshold. It's robbing you of your ability to, to focus your energy where you want it focused. You know, you might only have 50% of your capacity left to be able to train with. You know, it's why, you know, when, when you have someone who's deconditioned, who's new to, to strength training, who wants to get into it, you do not throw them into um, a, a heavy, difficult, progressive uh, barbell protocol. You have, you have to get, you know, they're only working with maybe 10% of their threshold. They're, they're running on empty, you know, they're, they're, you have to, you have to honor that and you have to build up their, their capacity in all the other ways. So that way you have some currency to play with, some currency that you can use to pour into this um, hypertrophy um, of one sort or another. Um, so 
that that's that's the difference in my in my experience between your your high responders, your your exceptional responders to to a regenerative um, intervention, and your low responders and kind of the disappointing outcomes um, would be the how effectively did we as a staff help clean the plate of of the the other elements um, that are that are causing a stress load that's diminishing your ability to focus your attention on on healing and regeneration where we really want to to have that happen. And what would be the one of the number one things right now if people are listening to this and they're like going, okay, I know we have all the all the sanity we got with, with COVID-19, things opening, things closing, you know, there's so many extra stressors. What's one thing right now that people, somebody listening to this, what could they do to like kind of identify a stressor that might be causing them, that might be cause them more stress, stress or side stress their life. <laughs> but what can they do to kind of say, okay, how can I clean this up? Or what's, what's a low hanging fruit of somebody that can just immediately change one thing to maybe reduce the overall stress load in their life? Well, the fact is that the simplest, the simplest is sometimes the hardest to do, right? If you weren't so stressed, you wouldn't have any trouble um, getting great sleep. If you weren't so stressed, you wouldn't have nearly so much trouble um, eating correctly, right? The the, the irony in, in the downward spiral that occurs here is the it, the more you need something, the harder it is to get, right? It's it's always kind of the the stay home parent with uh, not a whole heck of a lot to worry about who gets to go to yoga class all day here on the east side of Seattle. I don't know how it is out there, right? It's the it's the you know the, the people the people who who need need it the least get it the most. Unfortunately, you know it's the it's the people who um, it's impossible for them to sit down and meditate because hey I've got bills to pay I've got things in my mind who need it the most. So the the way the way that we go about it um, we try to take a bit of a multifactorial approach um, and with this we kind of jump start the system we'll we'll get a patient in with a, a new patient assessment we'll do a series of of tests of of their system we might do a blood draw and see see what they're deficient in uh, we might do a gut biome test um, and figure out how we can sharpen the knife a little bit and then get them going with an IV drip I love doing that. You know, it's 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 passive for them, and it jump starts the system, kind of kickstarts the immune system, can get you some focus and get you some recovery, and that can that can help you to do what you know you need to do. <laughs> you know, you know that you should be drinking less beer and sleeping more and drinking less coffee and and uh, taking taking time for yourself. But when when your adrenals are are stressed, when when you're running on fumes. Um, that's just going to be one more stressor. Knowing that you're messing up in your diet and your sleep isn't isn't going to help at all. That's just going to get you one more reason to be stressed. So we like to start off with some passive, some passive assessment. Get get some nutrition and um, and kind of some blood assessment, and then figure out how we can how we can just have you sit down in a chair for a half hour, fill fill a bag, and and get you started and, and get you feeling like okay, wow, I do have another gear. I remember what it felt like to feel like this, and then then we can get going. Um, of course, as, you, as you're asking for people who are self-identifying, um, unfortunately, I described with something that's, that's in clinic, um, but the, the basics for someone who's trying to self-diagnose and, and, and work with yourself, um, I, I heard one of your, your recent um, interviews, you guys were kind of discussing Wim Hof method and things of that nature. Uh, that 
boy, that's, that's a fun and simple and cheap and easy one. You know, you can work with a little bit of the breath hold techniques that they work on there. Um, Wim Hof is a, a free downloadable app I've, I've put people onto, uh, or, you, or you could just finish your shower with a, with a 15 seconds of super cold, um, <laughs> you know, and it can just, it, it's, it's just, it's just nice to, to confront, confront, uh, something that was uncomfortable and come out the other side and it can be a little bit inspiring, you know, like, okay, I, I did that. I did that. Now what's next? It, it always, sometimes you just need a little bit of momentum and that can be enough to get a little bit of momentum right there. It's kind of just, just ice yourself down and, and get through that and then see if you feel a little bit emboldened to take some more steps for yourself. So great. Now I got to go do my breath work and go hop in a cold shower. No, yeah, there's <laughs> that, another that, stressor that, for you. My judgment. <laughs> no, but, but that, but that, but that, that ties in because a lot of people don't realize that even whether it's super hot, uh, super cold or super hot, then it really, it, it really does change the body. And, and the funny thing is you add a stressor to it, you take, a, take that away and the body can actually get a better response. I mean, it's kind of what the, the cold weather, my understanding of what the, what the cold water application does. Well, Dr. Pond, I really appreciate your time today. How can people get more information about what you're doing at your clinic and, and the type of, of treatment you guys prescribe or, or that you guys follow? Oh yeah, great! I appreciate that. Um, well, the simplest way would just be go to my website. My my clinic's name here is Sports Medicine Northwest, and I've abbreviated that down. You can go to that dot com. I own that one as well. But sportsmednw.com. dot You can see the the practitioner bios and all that business, and we have information on on PRP and stem cells and lasers and all, all the things that we do here. Um, but uh, I I want to give your your people some access if you'd like. Sure. Um, yeah. I. If I, I'm going to go ahead and give you my personal email and I'm going to commit to it, I'll, I'll respond to any questions these people throw at me. But yeah, if you'd just like to, to have a little bit of uh, Q&A, something, if, if you wanted to know, just kind of break down where you're at, what's going on with you and hear my opinion as far as what direction would be useful for you to go in. If, it's, if you're not in the Northwest area and it led to me making specific recommendations, I might be able to direct you in the right, right um, place for where you are. My, my email, go ahead, go ahead and take me up on this if you like. I'd, I'd be happy to get in touch with you, is Skylar, S-K-Y-L-A-R at sportsmednw.com. Um, if you have any trouble with that, you can, I, I can respond back to any email you send to my website as well. Um, but yeah, I can, I can get you, get you on the right page, kind of have a look at what are your stressors and what, what are your, um, what's your low hanging fruit and, and give you some advice. I'd love to see you have some of the success that I see here as well. Hey, well, Doc, I really appreciate that. And, and I'll be, I'm sure that you'll get that from a couple of people, a couple of listeners to take them up on it, especially if you're happy to be anywhere up in the Seattle area, go on in and uh, pay them a visit and see how you can get the kind of put on the path so where you can go out and pick up jujitsu and do some killer stuff when, uh, when you, <laughs> you know, when you get, it. but I always like to point it out is you're never too old. It's never too late to start picking up a new skill or try to start trying to learn something new. So I think that's a, that's an awesome thing. Well, absolutely, doc, doc, I really appreciate your time today and I look forward to connecting with you before too long. Thank you so much, Pete. It's been, been fun. It's been an honor. Take care. As you can tell, that was a, a fun conversation. And, and honestly, this was pretty much just a couple of meatheads having a conversation, right? I mean, we're a little bit more than meatheads. He's a chiropractic doctor. I'm a researcher, an author, an educator. So we understand a little bit more about the human body. But the reason why I wanted to share this, con this conversation with you, the reason why I wanted to share this interview with you 
was to put in the context of, of the previous interview with a physical therapist. So now you've heard of doctor physical therapy. Now you've heard a chiropractor talk about the need for movement. That's why when you do exercise programs, when you look at doing exercise programs, I want you to, to, to think about evolving out of this, this mindset of doing muscle isolation training. I did that for years, chest one day, back another day, whatever. And I know that we've been drilled that in. You, you might have read bodybuilding books. You write, might read bodybuilding magazines. Now, if you're not training to be a bodybuilder, if you're not training to walk around on stage in your underwear, you don't need to train like that. In fact, that's a very inefficient way to train. Your body burns about five calories of energy to use one liter of oxygen. I'll say that again. You expend, you burn about five calories of energy to use one liter of oxygen. Think about sitting in a machine. I was just working out a little while ago before I'm recording this, and I see people sitting in a machine at the gym, and they're sitting there using one muscle group at a time. Well, that's not that efficient, and you're not using that much oxygen. But if you're doing a movement-based exercise program, if you're doing hinges, squats, lunges, pushes, pulls, if you're training from a standing position, if you're doing standing exercises, Dr. Pond does kettlebell conditioning. If you're doing kettlebell exercises where you're on your feet and you're moving, you're using more muscle tissue. Anytime you use more muscle tissue, you burn more calories. If you want to learn how to do that, you can buy one of my workout programs, my dumbbell conditioning, my kettlebell conditioning, my functional core training. Those programs are only $12 each. Not only do you get the strength training program, you get an eight-week progressively challenging program, but you get metabolic conditioning programs as well. You get a bunch of information. I got some great feedback from some people who've been doing the programs. I'm like, wow, you're only charging $12 for this. Well, I want to make sure it's a good value for you. So if you, if you find this conversation interesting about how we're designed to move, check out one of the programs I have for sale down available in the show notes or PeteMcCallFitness.com because I want to help you move better. As we age, as I get older, it's not about how big the muscles get. I mean, come on, that is important too. I, I will say that. But if you can train from a standing position, if you can strength train, and not just doing my workouts, but any workout, if you look at the way you train and you evolve your way of training and do movement-based exercise programs, you'll find you move better. You're not in pain. If you're doing muscle isolation programs, that's like tightening one, one spoke on the bicycle wheel. And that's going to, if you only tighten one spoke, that's going to put the wheel out of alignment. But if you train movement patterns, you're using multiple muscle groups at the same time and you're using more muscle tissue. So you're expending more energy. That's very important. That's why I wanted to bring this, this interview to you. I don't, I don't want you just to hear my point of view. I want you to hear other people, other professionals who understand human movement. And what I like about Skyler, Skyler just doesn't, as I mentioned, he just doesn't study the body. He, he goes out there and he does it. He's a weightlifter. He played rugby and he, he's competed. On, I thought the broken skull story was fascinating. If you listen to this and learn how to apply it in your own exercise programs, you can move better while getting stronger. You can move better while developing muscle tissue. That's, that's a win-win. And when you do that and you train movement-based patterns, you will also be, as I mentioned earlier, expending more energy. Hey, that's a great way to approach it. So I want to say, you know, this is a great conversation. This is a, a fun interview, helping you understand human movement. If you want to support the podcast, do me a favor. You can pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts as well. On Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know to design your own exercise programs. Smarter Workouts goes into the science of movement-based exercise to help you learn how to move more efficiently as well as burn a few calories and get a little stronger. That's all. That, that's well and good. 
Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for the email list. I'll be sending out two blogs a month, really helping you learn how to use your body more efficiently. My whole goal is to help you stay fit throughout the aging process. That way, hey, exercise can control aging. And I mean that. Exercise can't control the aging process. And that's what I help you do. You listen to all about fitness podcasts. You read my blogs. I will help you learn how to use exercise to manage aging. If you want to see the workouts that I do, if you want to learn insights into exercise, I put a lot, a lot of content up on both my Instagram feed. My Instagram feed is Pete McCall underscore fitness. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. Or you can go to the All About Fitness podcast channel on YouTube. Again, my channel on YouTube is the All About Fitness podcast channel, and I'm going to go through the hows and the whys of what we should be doing with exercise and how you can use exercise to manage the aging process. Reach out to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com is my email. Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com is my email. And as always, thank you for stopping by. I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.